On episode 34 of the Game Developer Podcast, we interviewed howtomarketagame.com's Chris Zukowski on, well, how to market an indie game. This episode was recorded live at GDC Showcase 2023 and produced by Jordan Mallory. Enjoy. Welcome to our second live recording of the Game Developer Podcast today during GDC Showcase. Uh, I'm Alyssa McAloon, publisher at GameDeveloper.com, and one half of your hosting crew today, alongside Game Developer's Editor-in-Chief, Danielle Rendeau. Folks, I'm going to introduce today's guest in just a moment. But first, just a quick hello to our audience today. So for those of you joining us live, we'll be keeping an eye on chat and the Q&A section. So be sure to ask any questions you may have for our guests, and I'll do a, we'll do our best, not just I, we will do our best, of course, uh, to work those into today's conversation. And that being said, on to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Chris Zukowski, game marketing consultant, strategist, and Steam expert. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for being here. Hey, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Like Steam expert, you just you know everything about Steam. I think every time we have a conversation, it kind of like six degrees of years into talking about Steam at some point. Uh, how's Steam doing? How you feeling about Steam right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. I, uh, I, I'm only a Steam expert because I read the entire instruction book for Steam. Because if you go to Steamworks, it's really dry stuff. That's all that makes me an expert. Uh, I, I just translate that stuff for everybody else. But no, we just, we just got off Steam Next Fest, just ended a few days ago. And that's always a good shake them up to see what's going on. So that was a fun thing that a lot of games were in Steam Next Fest. Always uh, participate if, uh, if folks watching this have an upcoming Steam game. I always say target the last Steam Next Fest before you launch. I'm just going to go right into the tips for you. No, yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. Love it. Don't even bother. We don't bother with us. Just go right into it. You can monologue for an hour and I will be good with it. <laughs> yeah, it works for us. <laughs> don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, talking Steam Next Fest then, because it uh, Steam Next Fest, I feel like I blinked and there was like one during the pandemic, the peak pandemic years. And then now there's just like one every month or every other week or something like that. Uh, themed one, seasonal ones. Uh, is it really just a matter of like pick the one closest to your release date? Is there more of a strategy there? Is there one that everybody watches? Nobody pays attention to them all. Like what's the secret there? Yeah, so Steam Next Fest, um, I, you know, got a little hazy uh, there during the pandemic times, but it it comes every four months, so there are three per year, and it's typically February, June, October. Okay. That's when the big three are, and then that just happens. Now, the, the specific date kind of moves around a little bit. You never know exactly what day it's going to hit. Yeah. Um, and then what I always recommend is you want to go to the last one. And the reason because uh, for that is because uh, Steam Next Fest really prioritizes the games that have more wish lists, mm. more, you know, what we call velocity, which is gathering wish lists. And they just move those games up. So the games that do best are the ones that are already doing well. So I always say the last one, because your marketing's starting to hit its stride, you know, you've been out there for a while, and then you go for the last one. I, I kind of consider that one of the big mistakes is that indies, they get so excited, they make their Steam page, and then they jump into the first one. But they have so little visibility on their Steam page at that mm -hmm. time that they just get buried by all the other games. So hold off. I know you're excited, indies. Just, just wait it out. <laughs> Is there kind of, well, I don't want to interrupt if you have something, Danielle, uh, but is there kind of like a, you want to rapid fire, like hit everyone, or do you just want to like have the one and go for it? Like, is there any harm to doing more than one or you kind of want to be focused about that kind of thing? This is the tricky part. They only let you do one. Uh, that's so that's like, why you got to read the instructions. That's it. You got to read the instructions or you just listen to me. So <laughs> I, I read the instructions so you kids don't have to. All right. Uh, but yes, but here's the thing. There are other festivals, not just Steam Next Fest. I mean, Steam, there's nothing special that special about Steam Next Fest. It's just that it's one that you are guaranteed to get into because they let in everybody, but only one time. But there are festivals all the time. Um, and in fact, I track them on my website. If you go to, I run the site called howtomarketagame.com. And if you go to howtomarketagame.com slash festivals, uh, my community collects when all these festivals are. These And what I mean by a festival are virtual ones. This is the hot new thing that kind of came out of the pandemic, really is Steam will dedicate a front page to some organization that comes up and you know says, hey, we'd like a, a, a show spot. For instance, I think just, just before, kind of towards the end of Steam Next Fest, Games of Germany. So mm -hmm. an organization that collects all the games made in Germany, they went to Steam and they said, can we get a festival? And Steam was like, yes, you can. So if you made a game and your team is primarily based in Germany, you could apply, 
They might let you in. And then you get a front page spot right there on Steam. So this type of marketing where you go to these organizations, one of the best things you can do. Actually, it is the best way to collect wish lists. And it's just Steam Next Fest is just one that you are guaranteed to get into because all the other ones are kind of curated. Makes sense. I think uh, start flowing in. Questions are starting to flow into chat there. Thanks for folks submitting those. We will get to as many of them as we can. Um, so talking about like Steam, but I guess like platforms. Um, oh, I don't have the name. Wanting chat wants to know. Uh, they say that to, you are like a Steam guru to them, uh, but they want to know if you've had experience on other platforms like console or mobile. Um, and I kind of want to talk about like other platforms on PC as well. So it's going to be my yes and onto this. Okay, great. Yes, and question there. Uh, so basically, here's here's the short of it. I don't really do consoles. I don't do much because there really isn't an instruction book. Unfortunately, the console, how do you do well on consoles is basically you kind of find somebody on the inside, uh, some person on the uh, on the platform who's the, you know, manages the store there and you say, Hey, can I get my Steam game or can I get my game? featured on your shop and they take a look at it. And if they like you, they feature you. If they don't like you, they just bury you. That's essentially the whole marketing strategy for consoles. <laughs> and the unfortunate thing about this is consoles, depending on the game, but for the most part, we have found that games will earn about 75% of their revenue from Steam. And then the other quarter or so, well, thereabouts, depends on the game again, will come from the different uh, you know, the different consoles. So uh, Switch is probably the next biggest slice of that pie. And then mm -hmm. Xbox and and um, and uh, PlayStation make up that other kind of sliver. So really, the Steam is where you're going to make your money uh, for this, unless you get like outrageous, you know, platform support, you know, they pay you money to be there. And, and if that's yeah. the case, go, by all means, do it. But yeah. <laughs> uh, for the most part, it's going to come from Steam, most of your money. All game development's a little, little bit of luck, a lot of bit of luck, but on PC, it seems like you have a bit more control of your destiny than other places. Exactly, it is. At least there's an instruction manual, you know. Yeah, that's something. That's something, you know. <laughs> we always say, when all else fails, read the instruction manual, or just call me in and I'll read it to you at bedtime. You know, I'll just, that's... <laughs> what that that was your podcast, that you offered, can spin right? off into and just like that. At bedtime. Read through the documentation, ASMR, <laughs> like... Yeah. That's really good. Oh, now, now you have a new idea for my next YouTube channel or something. You know, I'll just, I'll just do that. Just <laughs> there it is. Can I ask if I were, hey, I, I have a five-person studio. I have this game we've been making for three years. We don't really have a marketing plan, but we really want to have one. What would you say to a person like me? Would you say, okay, here, here's, <laughs> here's the day one stuff you didn't do, but you should do now, and then kind of go from there? Or, uh, you know, would you direct me towards one specific resource? Yeah, and, and I assume you're making a, a game that will go on Steam, right? Yeah, yeah, that kind of idea. Like, I'm making a game for PC and, you know, consoles maybe one day, but right now, PC. Yeah. Yeah, oh, great, great question. So what I always advise is get your Steam page up. And the, mm -hmm. the reason is these the, the marketing schemes have kind of changed. Um, back in the day, you know, when it was early indie days, like or the, this generation of indies, like yeah. I'd say 2010 and beyond, it was kind of like a, um, basically you would like throw your, your marketing out like a couple months before you launched your game. Uh, you would hope to get covered by the press. A little bit of streamers, they didn't quite exist as much as they do now. And then hope for the best and then you take off. But really the, the current meta, as we like to say, <laughs> is you get your Steam page up nice and early and as early as you possibly can. And basically what you're doing is you're trying to collect wish lists and get into those festivals, mm. get some early streamer coverage and possibly some, you know, some press. So what I'd recommend is as long as your game, and it's kind of the minimum requirement, people always ask, when's too early with my Steam page? This is what my basic is. If you've got the like genre pitch, you know, like you've decided, it's not like, well, maybe we're a Metroidvania or maybe we're a roguelike. We can't decide. You're like, okay, we are definitely a Metroidvania. Let's just, I'm, I'm making your game for you here. Deciding. Yes. <laughs> you <pick laughs> I love genre, it. Genre, <laughs> and you're like, this is the genre we're going to be. And then you, your art's pretty finalized. And by art, I mean like, you know, the general look of it. Like, oh, we're going to be yeah. cell shaded or we're going to be dark and grimy. Whatever the, the general art direction is, that's kind of settled. And then I'd say kind of pick like you've got enough for like three environments. So it looks like you've got a good variety to your game. It's not like a game that looks like one level. Yeah. Once you get that, make a quick trailer that's like 30 seconds long. Get that Steam page up. 
And then from there on out, what you're doing are these like kind of quick hits. You're trying to get into all those festivals that I mentioned. Again, howtomarketagame.com slash festivals to find out when the next one is. Seriously, Indies, check it out. You got to get into those festivals. <laughs> yeah. And then from the festivals, you also try and get your demo out as soon as you can. Demos are hot now. This is the new meta, I'd say, since 2020. You got to get those demos out. And you're just riding that wave. Get that demo out. Try and get streamers to play your demo because a streamer can't play screenshots or a trailer. They just can't. Mm, that's true. So you got to yeah. get that demo out. And then you ride that wave from here until launch. And in between there, you do some you use some socials. It depends on your game. If a game's beautiful, great visuals, you might do well on TikTok or Twitter. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be like the rest of us where you're just grinding it out and nothing really works on Twitter or TikTok. Um, and then you just ride that wave of festivals, streamers, demo all the way till launch, and then you do a big blast right at the end. That's that's basically my plan for you and your five studio. I love it. I'm taking notes. Here I go. Uh, <laughs> I do want to ask how much, obviously things have changed quite a bit, but I do want to ask a little bit about how much press even plays a part, like review cycle stuff. How much does that even really play a huge part at this point? Because obviously it seems like it's a little bit more about streamers, especially for smaller indies at this point, right? Yeah, uh, it really is. Streamers are kind of the way to go. Gotcha. I've done a study yeah. and, you know, I reached out, find out from a bunch of indies. I surveyed about 100 indie games and I said, where did your big increases in visibility come? And most of them did come from streamers and festivals. Gotcha. The press we found is kind of a lagging indicator. So if your game goes hot, then the press covers you and they say, oh, this hot game. Um, there's a couple places that do, especially for the PC marketplace, that do well, um, like IGN or GameSpot. If they feature your trailer, that does very well. But again, it's visual. Uh, you know, it's, there's not yeah. much, unfortunately, journalism around that. Uh, but if they feature Gosh. your trailer, that does well. Um, the stories, though, here's here's one thing that the journalism kind of does. It's kind of like a bank shot. So it either the press comes after you've already popular. Or what will happen is you get covered by the press, an interesting story, and then you can forward that to the um, streamers or possibly platforms like journalists or, um, you know, like a, an Xbox or something and say, hey, we were covered here. Would you like to feature us? And then there's some featuring that comes from there. So it's kind of press kind of comes in at this weird bank shot, I'd say. I think uh, taking that one step further, because we, we talked about Steam festivals, we talked about the press, and of course, we just had Summer Game Fest like a week ago, two weeks ago. I've lost track of all time. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know that's a little bit outside of like the Steam specific realm of that, but how valuable are those kind of like more in person or more kind of like online announcements festivals now? Because they seem to be veering a lot more indie than they were a couple of years ago, especially this year. Yeah. So the online ones you're talking about, uh, I think it's called Summer Games Fest. The, yeah, the, the one that Keeley does. And then there's a bunch of things that kind of orbit around that in the same kind of like festival announcement highlight reel vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So there's uh, like PC Gamer Show. Those are good. Those will get you a ton of visibility. But the big main lane, main line ones like Jeff Keeley's and PC yeah. Gamer Show, those are, I'd say, the top tier. We've done some studies to see that that will give you the biggest increase in visibility. We usually track that via wishlist, like biggest gain in wishlist. Those are, but they will cost you like twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on up, depending on where you yeah. end up in the show. I mean, they go up. So uh, that is not, like if you're a first-time dev, <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. first-time game, <laughs> maybe not. But if you have some investors or you've partnered with somebody else, uh, that might actually be an okay thing to spend the money on. Why not? Um, but I don't see it as a tight of a return. Um, mm -hmm. Really, the, there are a second kind of tier, which are like um, Gorilla Collective, which have had a couple of clients get featured in, and that did pretty well. That's a mid-tier Gorilla Collective. These are smaller. They don't cost as much to get in. There's another one called OTK, I think, or OKT. It's an organization of streamers that kind of banded together and they do their own show. That one's a pretty good one. Uh, there's a lot of kind of these mid-tier show at the same time that do mm -hmm. well. A better cost benefit. You're not going to get as mm -hmm. much visibility, but it doesn't cost as much. So yeah. um, those are kind of the things. But those are all the online shows where you know they edit together all these streamers. They have somebody nice talking in between the different trailers. Um, the the in-person shows, I don't really recommend those. They're very expensive and the visibility isn't great. Now, if you want, you know, the, the, I mean, because you can pay a hotel, airfare, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Who needs that? Um, so what I recommend is if it's in your town, if there's like a big show, like sure. you live in, you know, LA or something and there's a show locally, sure, drive in as long as you can sleep in your own bed or maybe surf on somebody's couch. 
I just don't see much of a benefit. They're good for networking, but you don't mm-hmm. need a, a booth for that. You can just walk around and say, you know, like hand out the business cards, be charming and stuff, you know, do that stuff. You don't need a booth. You don't yeah. need a booth. There's a uh, statement. This isn't a question that came in, but I'm curious what your take on it is uh, coming out of chat. Um, talking about Steam page timing, if you're working on crowdfunding. Um, so Radiant in chat said that they people may want to wait on getting a Steam page up if they plan to, cr- plan to crowdfund mm-hmm. because getting a Steam page up closer to when you launch on Kickstarter or BackerKit can build the hype for the campaign. Agree, disagree with that? How how do you feel about crowd crowdfunding right now? Yeah, uh, that's a great point. And I should have put a couple more caveats on that. Yes, I would say time of crowdfunding when you launch your Steam page, get those together. And I'd even add a third thing, like if you could also get one of those festivals to feature you. Because sometimes you can apply for these festivals and say, and they actually like it when you apply to one of these festivals and say, hey, we're going to announce some things. Then they're like, oh, we get announcements. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, So (laughs) yes, funding and and trying to do all this stuff. Yes, that's an excellent point to time these sort of things. Uh, The other thing that might be a slight caveat is if you are going to get a publisher, uh, and and, uh, Danielle's uh, magical five-person company uh, (laughs) did not know if you were getting a publisher with that one, but with a publisher, what I would recommend is, here's the thing, you go to the publishers, you you do a round of, you know, the top ones that you think you would do well with, um, and when you do that, you just put it out there and say, hey, we're getting ready to launch our Steam page pretty soon. We're going to announce our game. We haven't mentioned it anywhere and see if they bite. Give it like a month or two. See if you get any negotiations or something. But here's the thing publishers will do, which I really don't like when they do this. They'll go like, oh, we're just not ready to sign right now. Why don't you fix level three, put a little extra polish on level three and come back to us? They always do that. That means mm. they're not really interested, but they don't want to say no because they don't want to say no to the golden goose because you might mm-hmm. be the golden goose. Here's what I recommend. If you get that run around, the publisher run around that way, where they're like, oh, just tighten up this, and then we'll talk again. Just say, no, thank you. Go publish your Steam page. Do the whole marketing thing that I recommend. Then when you get all the wish lists, because you did awesome, then come back to the publishers. You can do another round, and publishers like it. When you've done a lot of wish lists, they're like, this is a hot one. We got it. And you then you have a, deci- a decision what you're going to do. You might say, hey, we're getting so much visibility, we don't even need a publisher. Or you come in hot with all these wish lists and you're like, hey, look at us now. Then mm-hmm. they know, oh, well, that's hard to do. We're going to sign you. You come in into a but much, much better uh, negotiating position uh, if you've published a Steam page. And I've talked to several publishers like on the record, off the record, and they're like, we don't care if you have a Steam page up. We do not care. We actually like that because then we can quantify whether you're doing well or not. That's kind of Mm -hmm. uh, another caveat to stack onto that statement from that other uh, questioner. Nice. I want to dominate the conversation. I feel like I have, uh, or like the question, the rapid fire questions that we're firing off here. I guess, Danielle, Danielle, did you want to ask Lightning round, if you just want to go for it. Lightning round. It turns into an AMA. It's pretty good. (laughs) It really does. It's pretty good. (laughs) I wanted to ask one from the chat uh, as well from uh, Jeffrey Yang here, who says, and I know this is something actually that you had touched on in a previous interview, Chris. So I'm 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 getting it ready for you here. Uh, but many indie games start uh, get their start on H.io before transitioning to Steam, uh, and they are asking if you have any specific advice on how to make that process run more smoothly. I know itch is something that you have talked about uh, in the past and having sort of work that's out there on itch that helps you to kind of build some uh, some momentum. But this sounds like a little bit of a okay. When when are you ready to take that next step uh, from from an itch? to a steam basically excellent question excellent question so uh quick caveat on how itch works um it uh, just and this kind of goes to i think one of you also had a question about other pc focused platforms like itch is one of them you yeah. don't make a lot of money off of itch i'll be honest you just you just don't sure. they, uh, it's not a game it's not a platform for buying games i, I love itch it's, it's great it's it's heartfelt but they just you just don't make any money off of it but streamers love itch because they like to just filter by free and they find like the weirdest wackiest stuff and the yep. and the itch audience loves wacky weird stuff so it's a very potent audience for that kind of thing and what i say is track how 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 you're doing on that if you're like doing a game jam you know you do a game jam you upload it to itch do this a lot and just see which one picks up. There are several games. One's Dome Keeper. It used to be called Dome yep. Romantic. You can find it on itch. Just search Dome Romantic with a K uh, at the end. Uh, and another one is Peglin. Both of those games started as Game Jam games that were uploaded to itch. And it's hard to say. Like somebody's going to the next question is like, well, what's good? I don't know what the good number is, but both of those developers had released a lot of games on itch. They just, you know, Game Jams, weird prototypes. In one of their games, Domekeeper in one case, Peglin in the other, it just was like 
five times as much traffic went to that game. That is an excellent sign because you want to judge that interest. That is really all these little weird marketing tricks and stuff don't matter. It's the game front and center. Your game is the most important thing. And it's good before you dive in and spend five years, hire five people to make your game company, that it's actually an interesting idea. And I think itch is a great way to validate that idea. Um, In other words, put up your game jam and you're like, people are emailing me asking if I'm going to make new levels. They keep saying, when am I going to release this full? If they're doing that, that's a good sign. And that does happen. Like people were begging Dylan from Peglin. They were like, please can you finish this game jam game? I can't stop playing. And he was like, okay. And he actually abandoned one game and picked up Peglin and made that full. That's a good sign. And that can kind of come from, uh, you know, itch. Now I don't, one, one caveat, I don't know if the audience was quite asking this question, but, um, when you launch a demo, I mentioned demos are one of the best marketing tools. Um, you want to kind of have a steam page. Cause here's one thing that could happen with your, uh, demo that's on itch. If it takes off really big, and I mean like streamers find it and play it forever on stream, and you don't have a Steam page, you lost out on a lot of mm-hmm. capture, mm-hmm. which is like capturing wishlists because yeah. it's just living on itch. That's the risk you play when you just upload to itch is it could take off. And then you're like, no, 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 no. I, I'm like, and you scramble to make a Steam page to kind of capture all that interest. That's rough. Yeah. So just go in knowing if it's a prototype or uh, a you know get, you know game jam game that keep it small like that and if it does take off hopefully you get a steam page out under it pretty soon yeah or a newsletter right because you're also a big email marketing believer or has the tide changed in the last couple of years no way i am okay. still so hard i love it i love <laughs> this is my favorite so one trick it's Alyssa, you could have done this as a profession. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to take you away from GDC Central here. But here's the thing: segues. Um, you just fed right into it. So one alternative that you can do with itch, if you're crafty, you put in a sign up for your newsletter, and that kind of buttresses you against there that problem where uh, you don't have a Steam page up. Because mm-hmm. I say, and there's a great game called Tiny Glade. That's really cool. It's a wholesome castle building simulator. It looks really cool and, and cozy. Yep, same. <laughs> and what you get, what they did was they didn't have a Steam page ready yet. They just were putting out prototypes. They didn't have an itch prototype, but they were putting out images on Steam. And then they would just direct to a mailing list. And then they can kind of build that mailing list quietly that nobody else knows about it. But they built it up to 25,000 subscribers. And then when they were ready with their Steam page, they just converted that mailing list into Steam wishlist. And it was mm-hmm. awesome. Perfect. So nice. one thing you yeah. can do if you're doing jam games, make a link in the front page. Like when you start up your game jam game on itch, it just says play. And then right on that, sign up for the mailing list to find out if this is going to be real or you know something fun like that. And then they sign up for the mailing list. Now, not everybody's going to do it. But then you're just capturing that interest in a place to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. And by the way, never has there been a stronger case for mailing lists than right now. Because what's happening to Twitter, Discord, Reddit, all this stuff's falling apart. Mailing lists will never go away. There's, they're like the rocks <laughs> of South Dakota. They're just there. <laughs> they don't go anywhere. That's that's what I love about email marketing is it's just there. It, yeah. There's no one creepy CEO that can take away email. It just exists like as part of the internet's infrastructure. So that's yeah. why I say there's never going to be a time when I'm not pitching for email addresses. And, and email marketing get... have like a similar issue with like every other platform where it eventually gets so loud, it's hard to cut through the noise and you have to start being more competitive, more emojis in your subject line or whatever works there. Like, how do you navigate that? Um, I don't, I don't know. You just, you just, you just it's it. honestly not good. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, um, put a couple emojis in there, but for the most part, the it's pretty, it's been pretty steady. The open rates for emails oh, are still just rocking it. So, uh, yeah, just do it. Most things, most of these don't do it. So it's an open field for you. Just, just get them to sign up for your email address. And then when you're ready, tell them to wish list on steam. Springboard into future games as well because I'm trying to. I watched our previous conversation, which everybody can watch on GDC Fault or on the GDC podcast uh, or Game Developer Podcast um, feed. But uh, one talk about like the best marketing you can do for your second game is to like have your first game and how you can kind of like grow your audience there. And email lists seem like a great way to kind of like make sure your second game set up for success by just having this really interesting tight first game. Yeah, and I'll be honest for for indies watching this. Your first game, I hate to tell you, it's not gonna, it's not, probably not gonna do very well. It's just that's just the way it goes. Don't lose heart. Nobody does well on their first game. I mean, very few. Yeah. You hear about the stories, but they don't. You have yeah. to like roll it forward. 
And the way you do it, it's like snowball. You're just like every time, like your first game is not going to like whoever does well with their first of anything. So yeah. what you're doing is you're just rolling it forward and your email list gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So every time you do one of these announces, when you're ready for your next game, you do the steam page, your mailing list is bigger and bigger and it just, it just grows and explodes. So that, Excellent advice, Alyssa. Really, really, you gotta stop spouting so much stuff because the GDC is. I'm just repeating gonna, points that you made there, so I just excellent advice right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll quote your quotes of the Steam Manual at you, and I'll just be a genius for it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, there is one question from Chad here. I wanted to ask, uh, maybe a bit controversial. I'm not sure. Um, Andy wants to know, Chris, do you believe that the game market is winner take all with the majority not being profitable? If so, what percentage are winners? Do you foresee the status quo remaining the same for years to come or will the amount of winners increase? Okay. All right. Okay. So here's kind of my, this is what I'm thinking of. So this is kind of weird. Oh, um, it depends on what winner take all means. I mean, it, anytime you do pro, I, I look at every game that releases every year and how much they're making and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's a hockey stick every single time. Like I've done a hockey stick and then I'll zoom into just the, the I don't know what the up part of the hockey stick is called. <laughs> I'm from Arizona. What, who even knows about hockey in there? But you look at the, that front part of the stick and even that is a hockey stick. So the, the, the earnings of games does go up. Now what, and the other thing I did was I just looked at like, Okay, oh, every year, how many games are released? And uh, it always goes up. It doesn't go up as, as much as everybody thinks. It goes up. But the weird thing is the number of games... So here's another thing about Steam is they it's like a big filter. They don't actually tell you. It's kind of like ghosting. Um, Steam will ghost your game. Uh, basically, basically, what Steam is, it's set up to be a filter to find out, does this game have a juice? Like, is this game actually fun? Because there's a lot of, you know, like spam games and asset ships, sure. junk mm -hmm. games, hobbyist games. There's a lot of junk on Steam. So the algorithm for Steam is tuned to like filter out games that have no shot at anything. They know from pretty quick, like nobody's going to buy this game. They give you an honest shot, but then they're like, no, nah, yeah, this game just doesn't have it. Thanks for playing, kid. We're just going to put you in the basement. And they just basically bury your game in the algorithm. It's sad. Yeah. They don't tell you. I wish there was an email that says, sorry, we're going to bury you in the algorithm. They don't. They're just like, oh, you're still doing good. <laughs> Unfortunately. Keep trying, buddy. But, so, Keep going. so I did the analysis and roughly... The, the cutoff, I'd say, is about, don't tell anybody, it's about $250,000. It's a really private greater. conversation we're having right now, so I think it's a yeah, great very point to private. make. Just, just us in the 500000 yes. So it's about $250,000, I'd say, dollars earned. You start, to learn, you start to get stuff on Steam for that. So I went and I said, like, well, how many games every year make that, you know, really above that amount? And despite the fact that the number of games is increasing, the number of games that make it is actually pretty steady. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like same. Steam only has a limited capacity to promote the games that it's chosen. Now, I don't don't quote me on five hundred. Don't tell Steam like, oh, Chris says it's only five hundred. I don't know the exact number, but the funny thing is, I found is the number of games that reach kind of an upper tier is staying steady every year, yeah. and it's like Steam has a natural capacity for how much it can promote. Because if you start spending enough time on Steam, you start to see the same games recommended over and over again. Yeah, That's just how it goes. And so here's here's where it's like, oh, is there a chance? I actually do think that there's a chance. I mean, it's not... If you want predictable, go become an accountant or, you know, something like that if you want yeah. that. Very true. I mean, this is the dream business. So it's going to be risky. So nothing here is definite. But I think the big problem that we have is... Kind of what we were talking before is a lot of people quit after their first game. So they make a game and they just quit. They realize, one, they don't like it as much. Making a game is a lot less fun than playing it. And they're bad. I mean, most games are bad because, you know, your first drawing is terrible. Your first painting is terrible. Your yeah. first anything is terrible. Yep. But people do it. They release it and they're like, oh, that, that kind of sucked. I didn't like that. And then they ghost. They never, they never make another game. So there's always that much. And the games that do well are the ones that are, if you do the research, and I, that's what I write about on my blog every week, uh, howtomarketagame.com slash blog, is games that do well. And I always find the games that do well are from developers who've been around for a long time. It's like their fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth game. And so yeah. this kind of winner-take-all, yes, it is winner-take-all, but I usually find it's the people who just kind of ride it out for a while and have released game after game and after game. And they they had a lot of bad games that just didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, but the whole system, the whole Steam system, pretty much all the marketing, everything is set up to promote and determine whether a game is fun or not. And people can determine if the game is fun or not in like a nanosecond. 
They just do. And I don't even know what it is. I don't know what it is. Not like, oh, if you had a guy with blue pants, oh, it's going to do. <laughs> There's no secret. It's, yeah. it's like trying to figure out what makes somebody, you know, like why you fall in love with somebody. Mm-hmm. You can't put it into words, but some games have it and some games don't. And so the whole system is built to filter out the games that have it or the games that don't. That's just it. And so you just have to be around long enough to make it so you figure out how to be good enough to make games that are fun and how to market it so that the games that your game is fun. But it's mostly the game. So that's why I hate to say it's like all luck and uh, a winner-take-all system because it's mostly just... It is winner-take-all, but that's because a lot of games just kind of suck. <laughs> yeah. Some perseverance thrown in. I don't want to like pivot off of the topic completely, but uh, the... Let's do it. I, I spend a lot of time on TikTok is my dark secret. <laughs> uh, I talk about it all the time. It's not a secret at all. Um, <laughs> but there's such that kind of snap decision of do I want to consume this content when you're scrolling through your TikTok feed and game dev TikTok is particularly interesting too, like both from like cozy game advertisements on there or like dev vlogs or something like that, having to capture that like split second of attention in that kind of similar way of like, does it have it or does it not? And then that all spirals into a marketing thing and everything's bigger there. Not a question, just a comment. Uh, TikTok. Yeah. And, and if you spend enough time ma- trying to do marketing, like just post something on TikTok, I don't know who, who who's tried it, but it's weird. Like just the most subtle thing, like, oh, my background is blue. My video does better. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. just something yeah. about something just cascades in these systems. Like even TikTok, even though it's not always selling games, you could be selling like makeup or something. Just the slightest change can have an outsized result. And that's the way these systems are kind of built. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people, they just, they're just throwing stuff at the wall until they kind of figure out, oh, this is the kind of, uh, when I use this tone, when I have the camera angle like this, when I dress like this, or I'm in this environment, just enough of a change is all of a sudden you're like constantly getting 100,000 views. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially how the market works in both, in any algorithm-based market. Until it changes for no reason. You're just like, I didn't do anything wrong. Don't know what's happening. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what would be something you would give as advice to actually having a sustainable business? To actually, all right, I, I want to make indie games. I love indie games. I'm willing to be very gritty and push forward and make my fourth and fifth game and things like that. What kinds of things would you say are like, okay, you're 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 gonna be in it for the long haul. You're gonna actually maybe see some success here. You've you've figured out some of these lessons, you're making it work. These are some strategies for that kind of success. <laughs> gritty game development. I love it. That's, gritty. A, that's a good set. Yes. Gritty. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So here's how to get gritty. Okay. This is what I would suggest is one, don't spend so long on one game, especially if you're new. And it depends on if you're new or not. But if you're a new developer and new, lots of little games. And there are some great developers that are releasing games like every three months, six months. And they're not, those games aren't going to go huge. But what you're doing is you're just building up that audience. And you're kind of getting yourself known. And a lot of people discount the amount that just getting known and having sort of these like, there's little tiny gatekeepers all over the place, like some of these shows that I'm talking, just getting yourself known in the industry and with other developers is very valuable. It's very under, you know, undervalued. And so if you just release a lot of small games that don't sell very well, but you keep your costs low, I, I mean, five going in with five people is pretty rough, uh, Danielle. So this is one uh, person, just one until later. Starting <laughs> right? low. Yeah, start yeah. low with just one or two people and slowly yeah. hire on. Go slow until you've kind of gotten your feet under you. The other thing that I would recommend, and this kind of gets me trouble in trouble, is look at the genres that are selling on Steam. And mm. I and I know, I know they're going to say like, oh, you can't just market test everything. I'm not saying market test every decision, create a decision. But I mean, there are genres and types of games that do better on Steam than don't. Um, yeah. And I'll just be honest, they, what they're kind of the genres that are I call crafty, buildy, simulate games. Those games do very well on Steam. And they're kind of like the roguelike, city builders, 4X, um, you know, these Factorio games where you're building these bases, colony sims, crafting games, simulators like, you know, a power washer simulator. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. you're not, it's not so much you about running around a beautiful world. It's about me building the world, starting from something and then building it up. Those games mm. do very well on Steam. And I'm not going to say like, oh, a building game where you are a pirate. Pirates are hot this year. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying like, the general buildy, crafty, simulating yeah. games are very good. 
the problem that I see a lot of indies make is they make a lot of games that are more triple. They're trying to, they've learned from AAA. They played a lot of AAA games. So they try and emulate the AAA style, which is a single person running around a beautiful world. And we indies cannot generate enough content to fill a world big enough for fans to feel like they're satisfied with the amount of game. That's just a really rough Mm -hmm. thing. And so I think that's a problem that a lot of first time indies get into. So if you focus on those genres that do better, um, build for the long term, smaller games and get bigger and bigger scale. I think that is your best bet. Start a mailing list so that you have that fan base rolling with you. Yep. And then you can incorporate the latest trends like TikTok. But then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a feeling like in two or three years, we're going to stop talking about TikTok. We're going to go to something else. That That is a, a source, but there will be something else because people right. like to look <laughs> at things. So it doesn't matter what it's going to be next year. It'll, it'll come and go. But your baseline is your following, your brand, your mailing list. All those things stay constant. And then you're changing up you know, what other platforms you have coming in. So that I'd say is a good sustainable plan for the, for the long term. Nice. Congratulations on your successful studio, Daniel. Uh, Danielle studios uh, opening (laughs) today. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, I've got two kind of big questions I want to ask and I'm keeping an eye on chat to see, Oh, wait, no one just came in, but I don't want to read right now. So we're good. Um, (laughs) So I've talked a few times about the original, the inaugural GDC showcase uh, conversation. We brought you on. We just did this exact same thing where we interrogated you about marketing questions for an hour. It was wonderful. Um, (laughs) But 2021 was two years ago. There it's been, there's been some things since then that have happened. It's a different world now. Um, It's a super broad question. I'm sorry for that, but what's kind of the biggest change in game marketing or, or even like the advice that you give from now versus like two, even two years ago in 2021. Yeah, I do think that we kind of touched on it before, but the new meta of what I say is get your Steam page up earlier, get that demo out earlier and spend more time long-term because really the thing that's solidified are these shows, like these online festivals, start applying mm-hmm. to more, start building those up because the longer you have a Steam page with a demo up, the more festivals you can apply to, streamers are still very big. Um, and a lot of studios have gotten this the message of doing this. And so what we're finding is it's just like it's amping up how much you have to do. Uh, for instance, like this next fest we just ended, it got really competitive. I used to say, like, if you could get 3,000 wish lists in the two weeks before the next fest, you're like front mm-hmm. page. Now we're seeing it in this most recent one. It was 20,000 just before. So it was like 4x what you had to get. Now, we're monitoring it. I don't know if that next fest is so hot because we also just came off of, you know, the big summer mm. E3 like shows yeah. that mm-hmm. fed into that. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is a big change of people are kind of learning the system of long term these hits from streamers and festivals. Those are the two big ones. And it's just like ramped up. So we're all running at such a high pace that this next fest was very competitive to get onto the front page. Cause mm-hmm. that front page of next fest is what it's all about. Like after the, if you're not on the front page, it drops hockey stick again, way off. And so uh, that is a big change is just, just the number of people who figured that out where it's like festivals and streamers, festivals and streamers is mm-hmm. doing this long-term marketing uh, campaigns really, I'd say, is is the big change from 2022 or 2021, that sort of time frame. Super, super, super anecdotal. But like my sister, uh, also into video games or whatever, but she's less like online than I am. And that's a great thing for her. Uh, but like, we'll be talking about a game and she'll be like, oh, I didn't realize I was out already. But she was the one like very on top of Steam Next Fest and be like, oh, I, there's this demo thing going on. I'm playing this demo right now because it kind of like these demo fests and these like big things have a way of engaging with people who might not be as plugged in or might not be like on Twitter every day or something like that, too. So it's interesting to like see that kind of thing extrapolate out. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but... No, that's awesome. So your sister, does she do social media? I'm doing a little user study. A little here. bit, very little. I used little. to be a user researcher. So I'm going to do this for <laughs> trans, through to your sister. So uh, wh- what does she do? Like, is she on social media? Uh, What's her Twitter favorite thing? Twitter and Instagram, but very rarely and doesn't really like reply to anything. It's kind of like a once per week, once per month kind of doom scroll and then is, exists in the world and has real hobbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I find that, nice. I know, like all of us, all of you watching everywhere we're talking we're extremely online weirdos and i don't think that is a perspective that indies have enough because we're all weirdos everybody who's deciding to like quit their accounting job to become 
um, uh, you know, indie game marketer, they're weirdos. We're all weird. So we think <laughs> that, oh, the whole rest of the world is these online weirdos who are doing this stuff. We're mm-hmm. not, we're the weirdos. And then most people aren't online. They don't, they don't, they're not privy to the discourse, all that kind of stuff. We're weird. So I love to hear from the normals. And that's <laughs> what I find is that, um, okay, so here's the deal is the reason uh, festivals work so well is they are on Steam. If you think about it, it's really weird that we're trying to use this weird social media platform to get people to go to another platform to then buy our game. <laughs> Most people just go to Steam. They mm-hmm. don't follow a game and then follow all these weird links to get to the Steam. They just are on Steam. And that's where... Here's the thing is most of your visibility is going to come from Steam. When we do all this marketing stuff like TikTok and Twitter and getting a streamer to play it, what we're trying to do, this is actually what we're doing. We are not concerned with getting those people to buy the game. What we're doing is we're getting them to wish list and like and maybe buy. And that triggers enough of the algorithm. It kind of is like a fuse that lights mm-hmm. a fuse. That fuse lights the algorithm on Steam and Steam says, oh, we've seen enough early indications that this game could be hot. Let's expand it and show it more and more places. Most sales come directly from Steam. And that's why NextFest is so powerful and all these things, because it's on Steam. And so when you think about this stuff, indies in the questions and boxes, you're really doing all this stupid marketing stuff just to, to look cool for the Steam algorithm so that Steam will present us everywhere. That's, mm-hmm. that's really how you should start thinking about marketing. It's got to impress the computer. The show is for the computer. I do. <laughs> I do kind of <laughs> like that. And I do want to read this this question that that had come in right before you started uh, speaking, Alyssa. So I'm gonna I'm gonna run through this one. Uh, really interesting one, actually. Andy Lee says, when a runaway success like Vampire Survivors comes out, uh, there usually comes a flood of fast follow imitators after right after. Most of these are forgettable, but some of the clones end up successful in their own right. Does Chris have anything to say about working on a clone of a popular game type? And is there a sweet spot of a sort of a window release date that an imitator uh, might want to aim for? Yeah, yeah. So again, all right. So um, I, for, don't, I, I know this makes me look lame. I know, and indies are supposed to follow their hearts and stuff. But if you're a first time studio, like new, I say this is a very viable path. It's kind of called a fast follow. I know it's not your dream game. It's not what you want to do, but it's a good way to kind of like wade into the indie marketplace. And I had a couple people in my community that did the fast follow first time indies. They did one was 20 minutes till dawn. Another one oh, was sure. uh, yeah. survivors, um, uh, um, rogue stone survivors. Um, all of these are soul stone survivors. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very profitable follow-ons to vampire survivors. And I do think that this is a viable path, not to build your long-term career, but a great way to kind of enter into this. Because if you can make these games pretty quick, and I'm saying like six months, don't try and make a game for five years. We don't know where Vampire Survivors is going to go. I still think it's a very viable genre if you want to take on. There's still games like Brotato. Uh, was on the front page of Steam just a few days ago, and that was a fast follow of Vampire Survivors. It does very well. People are still playing the hell out of that game. I think it had like 100,000 concurrent players. So people oh, yeah. still really like Vampire Survivor likes. It's just become more competitive. But I think this is an excellent way for studios to kind of get their feet wet in marketing and development because 90% of the game design is kind of done. And what you're doing is you're finding, like, one, how to develop that, then you're kind of tweaking on the game design. And that's a very good lesson for game designers to say, like, how far can I push this and still maintain what makes it fun, but still put my unique spin on it? And so I say, take one of these popular genres like Vampire Survivors. There's a couple others that we can talk about. And then just add 10 to 20%. Don't totally break it. Don't say, oh, it's Vampire Survivors, but it's a dating simulator and it's a horror game. You've like broken. That's too far. I I love to be gentle, gentle. It's in my, and this always gets me in trouble with the the indie chattering class. It's okay. You really should only improve a game by like 20 to 30%. I know that's not sexy and not fun to say, but too much. And then you've lost the audience. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a very under- People don't realize that. That takes a while to learn that. Like, how much can I push on a design before it it breaks being that fan group? And it's a very important skill to learn. And if you screw it up, you only spent six months. 
You didn't like invest your life stuff on there. And and then you've learned though, a lot of things that you can then take to your next game because a lot of the tech that you have to make to make a vampire survivors like this meta upgrades, Mm -hmm. you know, all this kind of procedural stuff can be used for a different genre. You just take all that progression code and then you can kind of apply that meta layer to a different genre, a different game, but it's a very important thing to learn. So I, I like doing it. It's not going to, it's not going to revolutionize the world, but that's okay. You don't have to revolutionize the whole world all the time. So, that's, especially that's when you're favorite. first starting, right? Especially mm-hmm. for game one for something. Yeah, just <laughs> getting out there because I hate. I, I just feel so bad for these indies that try and reinvent the wheel, or like you know, like oh, I'm going to make a brand new genre that's never been seen, and then like two people buy it. It feels so sad. It's much more uplifting. I want people to make two, three, four games. I don't want you to have to go back to a job at like EA or something. I want you to do this some more. So. Make your kind of like one for them, as they say, like mm-hmm. vampire survivors, like learn your skills. Then your next one, make a, a pre- personal passion project, but you're still making a lot from your vampire survivors, hopefully. And then you kind of, that's how you build a career. That's yeah. how you do it. And then, then you can make your dream project when you're like pretty good, like your fourth or fifth game, make one for you, make fun for them. But I'm lame. So go for it. What do you all want to do? <laughs> I think Vampire Survivors is such like an interesting game to use for this discussion too, because I feel like it's kind of the rule breaker in a way where it is kind of like it its own genre in a way. I got into a discussion with Brian Francis and our team about it, who was a big Vampire Survivors believer, and I'm just like, oh, it's just another like shoot 'em up. Or I didn't get it. I I do now. I've come around to it. Uh, but it's a game that kind of like ba- breaks some of the rules. I think I remember like one of their. Uh, like award speeches or something like, oh, we don't even have like running animations in the game. Like my characters don't have animations and I'm an award-winning game or something. I might be making up words in their mouth, but it's such an interesting example of that. But to see like the other things that kind of pop up in the wake of it is interesting yeah. as well. Um, when that we, we talked in that previous conversation, which I'm just going to reference to heck and back uh, all day, <laughs> um, talked about kind of like tagging uh, and not wanting to like cast a wide net when it comes to tagging. You want to be very specific about kind of like what the interests of your games are so that people know what they're getting into there. When you're working with a game that is a very close, um, closely inspired by a game like Vampire Survivors, uh, where it, you might be very visually similar to it, how kind of like upfront do you want to be with it? How much should you deviate from kind of the form you're working with um to make it enticing but still kind of like be grounded in these principles that are recognizable like how much does that factor into it yeah i think uh, basically i think the one of the ways that steam works very when i mean steam i mean the audience on steam is they really like a game design first and foremost like they're like oh i am a 4x player i want like a super deep strategy game and they're more flexible on the on the the second layer, which is the theming and stuff, for the most part. Um, and so they they want genre first, and then you can put a layer of meta, like story and, and art and design on top of that, and that audience will move with you, uh, for the most part. Um, then, in other words, like you can take a 4X game, which is a deep strategy, like conquer the world type of game. You can take that in a sci-fi environment, then take it to ancient Rome, then take it to like ancient China. You can do all that stuff, no problem. But if you try and take that and you try and push it too far and go to like super wholesome bunnies that are cute and like there's no guns or something, that audience not going to like that. Mm-hmm. And so you've pushed that thing too much. So this is it's hard because it depends on every genre. For example, the wholesome games where a lot of them are very management focused, and these are very uh, man, you know um, wholesome games are is a very viable genre. And to your point of what's what's changed since twenty twenty one, I think the um, cozy wholesome games have just grown in stature so far, uh, very mm-hmm. very far, and they're very viable. Um, but this is the thing is I, I, a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh, we want to make a wholesome game, but, and they try and take a design that doesn't fit with the wholesome genres and they try and take another genre and make it wholesome. And it's very hard to do. It's, it stretches the genre too far. Kind of like defining personas in a way is kind of what you're talking about too, right? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there, uh, but kind of like knowing your, your player X is interested in this. So this is also their interest there, not stepping outside of it. Exactly. Um, And a a lot of wholesome games are very management focused, very, uh, you know, narrative, like visual novels type of things. Um, And, but what I'd recommend if you are planning to do that, play those games, like play every single game that you think is in that area. And you start to notice and read the reviews and, and look on Reddit to see what people are commenting or on streamers comments 
what fans of that genre are talking about. And you start to learn what is and isn't in that genre. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes early indies do is they try and cross these genre lines because somewhere indies got the message that we have to like, oh, shake it all up and, and mix genres that have never been together and stuff. I think that is actually secretly super risky. And again, I feel so bad. Like, I know that was the message that indies got like, oh, you got to like rip everything up. And it's like, <laughs> But the fans, and I think that's one of the reasons indies always have such trouble is, I, I'm telling you, indies, like, I know it sounds so lame, but stick closer to the genres. When you violate some of these genre norms and you go mm -hmm. outside the genre, you actually alienate the audience you were originally targeting. And you're trying to pull two different genres together from two different audiences. And they're both like, no, we do not want to mix. We do not <laughs> want that. We want to stay in our genre. And I think, mm -hmm. I know if you want to be an indie that just wants to revolutionize everything, go for it. But if you're really trying to do this for the long term and kind of stuff, learn those genres. And there are times, like I say, push on 20 to 30% of the design, figure out what are those pressure points where you can push more. Sometimes in a design, you push too far and it's like, oh, that broke, that violated some core tenant, some anchor of that genre that we can't cross. And okay, well, the next one I do, I won't back off on that. It's just really important that you kind of learn that genre. And I say just play every game, the ones that succeeded, the ones that didn't, look at the fans and really learn it. And I think that's one thing people are missing. And you can take a uh, tax credit on your games. Like when you buy, that's a business <laughs> expense. So there you, it can, is. you can buy games, that's a business expense. You're doing genre research, so do it. I'm telling Indies to play more games. I like Spelling that. tips with Chris. Let's go into it. Uh, I think there's something that kind of like loops back into one of the things you said previously about like, don't bake it all on your first game too, because if you're making a game in a genre, you le learn your player type a lot more through like releasing your game and getting feedback from your players. And then maybe that next game, you identify which rules you can break because you'll know them a little bit more. And that's the point where you start being a little controversial. Yeah. 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 And I think people, that's one thing indies do is they underestimate how much fans like a genre and they don't want the pieces moved around too much they kind of like it tight in there so mm -hmm. again we're weird i can I, I love every genre and i like to play these weird games but we most gamers kind of have their their hot spots they kind of like one or two three genres and they like to stick to it and i want to touch on unless i just interrupted danielle who was about to say something okay i was cool. about to read this next question so why don't you do yours and then i'll do the next question because it's okay. here it's here for me I'll yeah we're we're doing that thing where we come down and there's eight minutes about eight minutes left and I'm like, i know oh, right shoot, i have so much <laughs> i want to say uh we talked a little bit before before we went live as a secret conversation about mistakes um and the mistakes that game devs make and that they learn from and how you learn and grow from those uh so i'm just going to give you the springboard here and you can go into the everything after that uh but what's kind of like one avoidable mistake that you see developers make uh, that you're like, hey, 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 hold up, hold up. This is like easy to go here. And kind of what mistakes sh should developers watch out for? How do you navigate a mistake? Yeah, yeah, great, great lead in. Um, I actually, I, I wrote a little mini book. It's 60 mistakes that every indie should avoid. So if you go to howtomarketagame.com slash free, uh, you can pick up that book for free. And so what it is, I just, I, I went through because I've done, I do a lot of consulting. A lot of indies are in my community and they just ask me these questions. And he's like, these are mistakes. Like, don't do that. So I just wrote down the top 60 and how to fix them, mm -hmm. hopefully, or avoid them in the first place. So, how to market a game.com slash free to get the book. I just send it to you. But the big one that I see is going to early access too early. For some reason, they love to make early access games, indies. It, early access seems e easy. Again, I talk about wading into the pool of game development. A lot of mm -hmm. indies are like, well, early access, I can just early access it. Oh, early access. I'll just do early access. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but all of a sudden, indies want to do early access all the time. I actually mm -hmm. think it's hard. But regardless of that, they go into early access. They're like, okay, I put this game. I want to get some feedback. I'm going to go to early access. Uh-uh-uh. Once your game on Steam, I'm specifically talking about the Steam algorithm. Once your game is for sale, you have released your game. It doesn't matter if you think it's early or something. You have released your game. There's no coming back. You cannot get a publisher because publishers do not touch games that have released that are for sale because publishers make all their money like in the first month from a game. Mm -hmm. And once you've launched your game... You're, you got the, the entirety of that first month. And so publishers know that and they're like, I'm not going to touch this game. It's already gotten its money. It's the first month. And so you can't do that. You still, even though it's early access and it sounds so lovely, you still have to do this marketing campaign. One, one of the things I always recommend is 
minimum get 7,000 wish lists before you launch because that's enough to kind of start triggering the algorithms. Remember how I mm-hmm. talked to the fuse that lights the bomb? Well, the flame on that fuse has to be 7,000 wish lists hot. Otherwise, there's no hope that you're going to detonate that bomb. Mm-hmm. Even if you're doing early access, you still have to do that 7,000 minimum wish list. You, early access is your launch. And so even if you're planning it, you still have to do these long marketing campaigns, get those wish lists up, release it, and do that early access or not. And I found too many indies that come to me and they're like, okay, Chris, I like, I released into early access about two months ago. How do I start my marketing? And I'm like, yikes, you're, oh, it's no. too late. There's, there's literally nothing I can do. There, yeah. It isn't. The game has released. It, in the Steam algorithm, they usually come to me when the game's not doing well anymore. That's it. Steam has mm-hmm. black marked the game. If you don't sell well in the beginning, Steam's like, well, this game's just not going to do it. Sorry. And then it, you know, I talked about secretly put you in the basement. basement. You're in the basement. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't. Maybe at least a sequel. I don't know. <laughs> but mm-hmm. unfortunately, yeah. that's the big mistake. Early access. It's a serious commitment, kids. Think before you do early access. And then it's like, and the more you know. Like, I wish I could just... Can, can we put we get that in post? Can we put like, that yeah, in like, post? Yeah, oh, this is live. What am I talking about? <laughs> For the pod. <laughs> Yeah. We can just do the sound effects like, Ding! the more you know, <laughs> kids, don't do yeah. early access until you've talked to your parents. <laughs> and stay away from the basement. You know, that's Talk to your parents before doing early access. <laughs> We've got time for uh, one last one, so I'll toss it to you, Danielle, and I will zip my trap. Or unless you want it, you know, I'm sharing is caring. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is another one from Andy Lee. The I really more like you know. it. I think it's interesting. Exactly. Uh, does Chris have any advice for an indie studio looking into public domain intellectual properties like Winnie the Pooh, Pinocchio, or more niche properties like a science fiction novel that might be inexpensive to license? Is it hard enough to make good game design uh, that IP licensing is a dangerous path? Or are there success stories? Um, I don't know because uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what's public <laughs> domain. I, I I think like if you were even to touch an early, uh, a public domain thing, like if you did Wizard of Oz and they looked like your main character looked a lot like, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's her name, yep. Dorothy or what, uh, Judy Garland. Like if you tried to make a Judy Garland, I think you would get sued so fast by the Garland <laughs> estate, your head yeah. would spin. Um, so... I don't know what you can touch and what you can't. I do think it's a good idea because people do underestimate uh, the power of IP. So um, just, I mean, it would be great if Judy Garland was in the public domain and we could put her everywhere, but you can't, I don't know, talk to a lawyer. But it does sound kind of cool. Like if you could say this is a Wizard of Oz game and then you'd have to come up with your own thing. But if you did like Return to Oz, that might just scare children, but still cool. I love it. Like Good. that movie is insane. I would love to see a game where you, you get to tie an elk head to a couch, <laughs> uh, whatever. Yeah, that'd be awesome, actually. Yeah. That'd be cool. I talk about crafting building maybe. games. That yeah. That is a crafting game right there. There it is. <laughs> Tears of the <laughs> Kingdom. Like, Whatever. This is, this is the elk to the couch. Um, I'm, I'm sure there I, are some IP that, you know, is oh, actually yeah. like, oh, they are actually hunting for, uh, oh, it'd be great if we could make a game for Starburst candies or whatever. some yeah. interesting Ooh, stuff went to like open the, I don't know either, but went into um, public domain in like the last year or two, too. So it's probably right, but I'm so out of touch with my literary degree that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna love one more question at you because we got two minutes and I like using a bunch of time. Uh, rapid fire question: uh, What's one marketing kind of tip that a developer of any discipline should have? So, if you're a programmer, your designer, your audio guy, like, what's something they should always have in their back of the mind for like marketing know-how? Oh, that's great! Just to understand that everything's a funnel. That's the most important thing. And what I mean by a funnel is. There are things that are big and loud and get a lot of attention, but they don't actually convert very well. And that's like TikTok, Twitter, um, even YouTube. You get covered a lot and you'll get you'll look at the numbers. It's like 30,000 views. But then what you got to do is then convert that to a higher converting um, kind of platform, like an email list, my favorite, or Discord is what we call middle of the funnel, something where we can contain them. We mm-hmm. take that interest, we turn it into what's called, you know, well, this is awareness, and then we turn it into interest. And that's, it's a slower burn in the middle. And that's like a Discord or a mailing list where we say, hey, welcome. And then you kind of warm them up. You say, this is who I am. This is there. And then you collect this over time, and then you convert it into what we call action, which means buying something. Just understanding the funnel is so powerful. And know that these things that are at the top, the very loud, flashy things that everybody thinks is marketing are just the top of the funnel. And so you should always Mm -hmm. think of like, 
anytime you do marketing stuff like, oh, is this top of the funnel or mid funnel? And should I be, turn- how do I convert this attention that I got into something else that's more practical? Because you never sell stuff directly from Twitter or TikTok or anything. What you do is, and what everybody does, and people don't realize it, is you convert that into a middle funnel thing. Like that's what a Steam wishlist. Steam wishlist is a middle funnel thing. You're converting that big attention into a smaller, slower burn. And that's mm-hmm. the most important thing you should always learn is, oh, how do I convert this into something more uh, practical that I can hold on to? Good nugget of advice. I think that's a great note to wrap out on as well. Wrap out, uh, just wrap up on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we are the Game Developer Podcast, Danielle and myself and the rest of the Game Developer crew. Uh, we put out a monthly episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, they call it now, Google Podcasts. You can find us pretty much anywhere there. We have like 30, 40 episodes all talking to very smart people about how to make games. So it's great advice. Uh, recommend it wholeheartedly. I saw a comment in chat saying this session needs to be five hours long. Great news for you. If you search uh, Chris Zukowski on Game Devel- or on GDC Vault, you'll probably find about five hours or more worth of content, I would wager. Uh, and as well at howtomarketagame.com. Do you want to do some self-promotion here? Yeah. My mid-funnel from all this attention at the top is howtomarketagame.com slash free. You get that book that is 60 mistakes that every indie makes that you should avoid. So head over to that. That's the only thing I want you to do. Howtomarketagame.com slash free. Do it. Put your name in the email box. I send you a, a letter of how to market a game every week. It's not spammy. Just do it. It's fun. That's that's at least 20 hours of content every month, depending on how, sl- how slow you read. You could read it super slow. There you go. <laughs> I like, like a good bathroom book, like one a day. Like make a calendar even. I don't know. I'm just pitching. Okay. But yeah, that's going to be all the more than all the time we have. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us, Chris. And thank you to everyone in the audience too. It's been a delight. 